Um, so before I read the passage of scripture, I'm just going to just open up with this. Um, there's this film called The Green Mile. It was made in 1999. And it's a film uh, set in the south of America. It's set in 1935. Uh, Paul Hedgecombe, who's played by Tom Hanks, is the head guard of death row. So he's the head guard of, of, of death row inmates in this prison in Louisiana. Uh, it's called the Green Mile uh, because of this long stretch of, of, of mile. It's, it's lime-colored, and this is where the, floor, uh, the prisoners walk on the floor to go to the electric chair. You have this guy called John Kofi, uh, who's played by Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, John Kofi is slightly uh, slow. He's, uh, he's very slow in his speech, um, and he's a seven-foot black man, he's a giant of a man. If you've ever seen it, he's this big, burly man. And uh, he's been accused, falsely charged with the murder of these two little white girls. And in this film, Paul, the prison officer, the, the, head, uh, um, the head guard, discovers that John Kofi possesses a mysterious gift. John Kofi can absorb others' diseases and ailments and sicknesses and cure them. And so when the prison warden's wife is diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor, uh, Paul, the head guard, arranges for all his guards to secretly transport John Kofi to the woman's home in the middle of the night. As the guard escorts him to the house, the warden's wife is screaming like a possessed woman. She's making this racket. And John Kofi goes to her bedside and he looks into the face who is contorted by pain, this face full of pain, full of anguish, full of hurt. The woman seeing John suddenly relaxes and she asks him for his name. And John smiles and he says, John Kofi, ma'am. Like the drink, but not spelled the same. He then leans over her face and he says, I see it. Sensing something mysterious going on, the woman begins to whisper, what's happening to me? And John just said, just be quiet, oh so still. And as the warden looks on, John places his mouth next to hers, and the inside of her mouth begins to glow as the swarm of bugs streams out of her mouth into his mouth. The room grows bright. The pendulum on the grandfather's clock stops. Literally, time stops. The crystal shatters. The glass breaks. And the house rocks and shakes as if it's been hit by an earthquake. And as John sits back up, the woman's face is peaceful and serene. The disease has left the body, but as we look, we see John who's doubled over in pain and begins to cough uncontrollably and we realize that he has taken her sickness unto himself. He has taken her ailment unto himself. And in the passage we're reading and looking at tonight, it's Luke 8, verses 43 to 48. So it should be on the screen, um, and I'm going to read it for us. 
Luke 8, verses 43. And it says this, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him, being Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said to Jesus, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We read about Jesus walking, and if you read before, Jesus is going to Jairus, Jairus um, and his daughter is on her deathbed. And, and there's, there's this hurriness about it all. Um, Jairus comes to Jesus, my daughter is dying. You need to come and help her and, and, and keep her alive. She's dying. And so Jesus is, is on his way to Jairus. And there's this crowd, and it's all happening, and it's busy, and it's loud, and there's noise. Meanwhile, amongst them, there is a lawbreaker. We encounter this nameless woman, this woman who, uh, who seems to have an overwhelming problem, something that even the physicians of the days could not cure. We read in all the Gospels that um, she has gone to see every possible doctor in town, that she spent all her money trying to find the help for her problem. She has an issue. She has a flow of blood that won't stop. It's been like this for 12 years. She has been in this perpetual state of uncleanliness according to the Jewish Mosaic laws. She has been shut out from religious life. She has been shut out from social life. She is a social outcast. She cannot and should not be out in public or near people or touching people lest she makes them unclean also. She is barred to be around people. She is unclean according to the Mosaic laws. She has broken the law and should be isolated. That is what the Mosaic law demands. She can't have a husband. She probably couldn't have children. She was an outcast. She was a nobody. She was the lowest of the lows. But what is she to do? What is she to do? She, she, she's exhausted all her options. She's reread. What is she to do? There is nothing left for her. She's probably reached the end of a rope, and what is she going to do? She's probably heard of this, of this guy, Jesus, who's in her town, and he's doing all these amazing miracles, and she's probably like, if I just trust that, if I could just touch the helm of his cloak, even the lowest part of his cloak, the tiny little bit of his cloak, I would be healed. Where nothing else worked, a simple belief in touching Jesus, the smallest part of Jesus, would bring healing to her. That's what we read. And she comes behind Jesus in the middle, in the craziness of, it's, it's like a paparazzi, he's walking around and people are bumping into Jesus and she comes in behind Jesus probably hiding from the crowd so she's not been seen so, so people don't recognize her. She's, she shouldn't be there. 
Because if people knew who she was, she would have been pushed out. You cannot be here. You cannot even come near Jesus. You have no right to be in this place. So she's probably hidden herself. And, and she comes back to Jesus and she touches his cloak. And she feels instantly. And in that moment, she encounters glory in the form of divine healing. Knowing full well that she touches Jesus on the Mosaic law, she is therefore making Jesus unclean. So I'm saying, she was unclean. And she goes to Jesus and she touches the helm of his cloak. She gives him her uncleanliness. And in return, what does he do? He gives her his righteousness. And he takes the uncleanliness onto himself. And he releases healing to her. Jesus turns around in the crowd and says, who's touched me? Who's touched me? Who, who? It's like saying, who took my picture? You know, paparazzi walking around, who's taking my picture? It's like, who's taking my picture? Who's, who's touched me? Amazed at the question, Peter's like, you know, Jesus, there are people around, like, everyone's touching you. And, and Jesus is like, no. Someone's touched me. I felt power leave out of me. And of course, Peter's reaction is understandable, especially since there is a hurry because Jesus has to get to Jairus. He has to go and do healing. He has to do another miracle. He has to go and heal a, woman, a, a girl who's dying. Peter can't see it. But Jesus senses things that we cannot sense. His timing is different for others. And Jesus can deal with many realities at once. And at this point, he knows that there is more than just a glimpse. Someone's touched him. And, and he turns around and he wants to find this woman. Do you, know, do, you, do you know why this woman doesn't reveal herself instantly? Do you know why she doesn't say, hey, hey Jesus, it's me, I touched you. Do you know why she doesn't do that? Because she's probably convinced that Jesus will take her according to the law. She's probably convinced that Jesus will take her according to the Mosaic law, that Jesus will be upset with her, that Jesus will reject me according to the law. She's probably up wondering that I'm going to be shunned if I say I did it. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be insulted. I'm going to be belittled. I'm going to be mocked, ridiculed. Her whole life has been like this. And she wonders, if I give myself up, people are just going to make it worse for me. How can I do this? How? How? And when I was reading this, I wonder how many of us or how many people refuse to return to church or refuse to return to God thinking that this is who God is. I wonder how many times they, they see Jesus as, as, as this figure who's upset, who's holding a grudge, who's annoyed, who's frustrated, who's angry at them. That is not Jesus. I wonder what we sold him that actually you... I wonder how many people are petrified that Jesus will take them according to the law. I wonder how many people think that their sins are greater than the cross. Our mistakes we've made, our past. I wonder how many times people think that what I've done, I don't deserve healing. I don't deserve reconciliation. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve to be whole. I don't, I don't deserve it because somehow my sins are greater than what he did on the cross. 
how many people like this woman are convinced that there would be judgment, are convinced that there's condemnation, that there's rejection, when the opposite is true. Is that because of his grace and our small measure of faith that God is adamant and passionate in revealing his acceptance and approval of us. Let me say that again. It is because of his grace and our small measure of faith that Jesus is adamant and passionate in revealing his acceptance of me and you. The woman comes to him after having been found and she explains the situation. She explains, well, this is what's been happening to me. And listen to what Jesus says. What he says cannot be uh, 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 done in a frown, cannot be done in a way that, that's angry, in a way that, that's frustrated. Uh, and it's in verse 38. And again, very similar to the woman caught in adultery in the temple. Listen to what he says. And I'm pretty certain at this moment we read that she's shivering, she's trembling, she's petrified, and she drops at his knees. And I believe this with my whole heart, no doubt, that Jesus probably got down on his knees, looked dead in the eyes, and says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Jesus gets down in the dirt, in the ground, with the people who need him the most. And he breaks those chains that hold him. He breaks... Like that song was saying, my chains are gone, I've been set free. He gets down the dirt and he breaks those chains that hold us down and he sets us free. He wanted this lawbreaker, the one who was shunned, to experience the glory of God in all its fullness. He experienced it in the form of divine healing. And he wanted her to know that her faith made her well. That is unforced, it's unmanufactured. That's God's pure love and it's pure approval for you and me, 100%. That is the face of God for us. Unconditional love. And like the film, The Green Mile, at the beginning, this man, John Kofi, who, who takes the sickness of this woman at the cost of himself, same thing Jesus does. Not only does he take her sin, but he takes all our collective sins. He takes the whole sins of the world and he takes them to the cross at his own peril, as in, at his own cost. He takes it on so that we don't have to be confined or bound or shackled by the weight of sin. Jesus frees us at the cost to himself. It is in the times of our deepest pain that we can see God's assurance and his presence, and that presence provides us with comfort. And this is true because the one we claim to be Lord embrace our ultimate humiliation, our ultimate shame on the cross. And even in that deepest painful moment, Jesus refused a, a simple sedative to alleviate the pain, even our deepest, deepest pain. He refused to take it upon himself. He took it all for us. So before I finish, I just want to say this. You see, Jesus isn't for the righteous. He isn't for the righteous. He's, 
it's not for those who are 100%, who are completely perfect, who are rock and roll, that Jesus is for the broken. He's for the sick. He's for the lowly. He's for the widow. He's for the orphans. He's for the person who has a flow of blood. He's for the one who's been uh, cast out, for, uh, who got caught in adultery. Jesus is for you. He's for me. He's for all of us. He's for the entire world. And I don't know about you, but when I read this story of Jesus, it just makes my heart beat for joy. And I think, how, Jesus, how? My life, my past, all these things, how? And I was, and I was thinking, I, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know your situations. But I know that we all go through things, that we all go through moments of doubts, moments of really moments of unsurety. I just want to say that you if if you if you're in a place where you're struggling or you've been in a place of doubt, if you've been in a place where um, I really want to know who Jesus is. Or, or you know what, Nick? I know who he is, but I've been struggling with this. this. You know what, Nick? I know who Jesus is, but my past has come back and read his ugly head, and it's making me think twice about my salvation. I want to offer the time that for Mike and I to just want to pray for you. I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in, in praying uh, uh, for healing and praying for, uh, and it's not just physical healing, it can be emotional healing, it can be spiritual healing, it can be physical healing. And I think about healing in its, all its various forms. I believe in that. Um, and I think Mike at some point might say something, um, but if, if, if that's you, uh, you are welcome in this place. I would love to pray for you, and it would be my, my honor to do that for you. Um, does that sound okay? Is that, is that, is that strange? Thing? I hope it's not a strange thing to say. Um, that's, just, that's just my heart. Um, so let me, let me end in prayer, and I want to invite um, the team to just lead us in, in worship, if that's okay. Oh, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I just want to thank you that you still do amazing things today, that you, uh, that you call us all by name, not because... You want to condemn us, but because you want to set us free, you want to love us and, and restore us to who we were meant and who we were called to be. So Jesus, I just pray that you will just have your way amongst us as we continue our worship, as we continue to just uh, pray and seek you, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we just thank you, Lord.